Oh, there I am. Hey. Well, ladies, and gentlemen, boys, girls, and uh, if tonight you just happen to identify as a crusty throw pillow on the couch, that's uh, that's fine. We're we're here for you, all of you, even those crusty throw pillows, right, Ray? That's right. <laughs> Better than that a crusty sock right. under the couch. Better to be on the pillow on top oh. of the couch. Now tonight, <laughs> I'm going to talk to about somebody who uh, probably has a very nice couch, amongst other things, and. Uh, He's got some nice grass. Uh, he has been with us before. I'm super excited to have him. And I know Matt would be too. Matt is off doing uh, things that make more money than YouTube. And uh, those are many and plentiful. But for Matt, they're very special, near and dear to his heart. So we're letting him have a little bit of grace tonight. Matt uh, will be back uh, sometime soon. We don't know. But uh, we'll keep you on the loop on that. But tonight, Ray, Cam, yeah. Elevated Lawnscapes, oh, is in the. Oh my God! There I am, looming over his shoulder. The, the watchful eye over here, right over. I'll my tell shoulder. you what. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, uh, hopefully there's no children watching this. They'll be frightened by that. But uh, <laughs> goodness gracious, yeah. Hey, that's uh, actually that's I, my can. I know where yeah. that picture came from too. I know exactly where that I, picture came from. I think that was the uh, Sean Smith Hungry Southerner episode. Uh, in I think that's the uh, that's uh, the budget lawn super fan episode. That's when uh, he's their number one fan. I think so. Yeah, uh, I think uh, this was... it was a real shame because that literally that episode that's one of the only lost episodes. Uh, and you had still available tried in audio. to match Matt uh, chest hair. It was chest hair. <laughs> no, it was that I was trying to get the right shirt on and everything. So. Luckily, uh, I cannot even approach the uh, amount of style and swag that Cam has, so I didn't even try. I, I didn't try tonight, and uh, there will be no chest hair, only what you see in the photograph here and what's left of that uh, that episode, which is still in audio format. So if you want to listen to that episode, it is a pretty epic one. Uh, yeah. Sean was all over the place that night for a variety of reasons, uh, <laughs> some of which won't be stated, but... Um, yeah, go check that out. We do have the audio-only format, which we haven't teased or talked about in a while. So if you do uh, enjoy watching us on YouTube, thank you. If you don't, uh, you can go on all the major podcast platforms. Just search for The Grass Factor on there. And uh, this show and all the ones we've recorded previously are on there, as well as all of our Burner Return episodes. So you can check them out there, listen to them in the car, and try to guess uh, what the pictures are that are on the screen that we're talking about in audio-only format. Tonight, though, this picture is on the screen that I want to talk about. Listen, I saw something today on social media, and I'm, I'm not a huge social media guy, but uh, I saw something that there was supposed to be some type of announcement tonight. Is that, is, is that what's going to take place? Do I, yeah. do, and I don't have, we don't have to do it yet. We don't have to do it yet. Like, I don't want to lead into this. So we'll get there. All right. I just want to make sure that that is the plan that's on the docket or the agenda for this evening. But first, for the folks that don't, you know, you haven't seen you before, who are you? Where are you, and why are you here? <laughs> yeah, so I uh, came from Elevated Lawnscapes. Uh, I'm actually in Maryland right now, um, originally from North Carolina. That's where all my people are, um, family and stuff's down there. Uh, I've been in the lawn for a couple of years now. Uh, bought my first house and was like, you know what? always wanted to have one of those uh golf course looking lawns 
but uh, I'm going to do something a little better, do something a little different. Um, always wanted to have that. Uh, and it just stuck with me from the beginning. Uh, and I just wanted to make sure, hey, I, I went about it. I learned as much as I could. Uh, I've had my uh, failures along the way. And uh, I had to dig deeper into the books hey, and uh, figure some things out. And uh, YouTube channel, uh, Elevated Lawnscapes on all social media platforms, basically there and uh, IG. Uh, so you can check me out on any of those. And uh, one of the main reasons here is uh, we got an announcement about a big project that we got going on. And uh, it's going to be something a little different because uh, I've been in Cool Season World for a couple of years. That's kind of what I know. And uh, we're going to see if we can't switch some things up. Uh, oh, boy, man. That's bring, a hell bring, of a tease. Ooh, bring right something. That's a hell of a tease. Now, um, I- I've had the pleasure of being uh, on your program with Polo and with uh, Turf. And I will say that it is probably one of the more real conversations that I have. And like, and like, we keep it real here for sure. I keep it real, you know, when I talk with, uh, ryan nor on that podcast but like i don't know like that the uh the topics that you guys go into i i think you approach it it's it's interesting like um i guess how precise you all want to be and and you being you know uh i don't know if you want to share generally what your profession is but i think it's one that is built on precision so i was going to ask that question if you want if you want to share and if not could you at least just talk about like how uh your your mindset your approach to life whatever informs how you manage turf because i think we're all a little bit that way like there's people that are loosey-goosey that are just like oh hey you know whatever and if i throw an extra two you know 10 bags of fertilizer out there no big deal Uh, and other people that are like i gotta go down to the last row (laughs) (laughs) as much as your wallet can handle (laughs) no but seriously so if you want to share about your your occupation but also you know just talk about how is is that like wrapped up in who you are as a person is how you manage lawn or is it vastly different uh no and i think that's that's the thing that's just a part of my personality uh it is if you land on my channel um you'll hear me say data-driven decisions um that's one of the things that i believe in um i don't believe in just throwing stuff out for no reason and not knowing why you have the issues that you do or why you're doing what you're actually doing. So uh, from a professional standpoint, I am a engineer. um, So uh, I've kind of stepped away from a lot of my engineering portions at this point in my career and doing more management right now. Uh, So, but given that background um, of the fact that engineers, we deal with data. I mean, numbers is what we do. Uh, so when things get gray, I don't quite understand gray. I mean, it's either <laughs> it's either, it's either <laughs> right or wrong. It's either cut and dry. You need X amount of product. You need X amount of this to put in. And when you do that, you're going to get Y that's going to come out of that. So uh, that's just kind of the way that I do. Um, and it, it can be sometimes difficult. Um, it may seem like I'm going very in-depth on my channel. Uh, but what I do is I try to simplify a lot of that also and just kind of give people a high level overview of what's going on and kind of walk you through those steps. But one of the things is, is make sure that you're making decisions based off of something concrete as in data. So 
Uh, that's just one of the things you'll always hear me uh, recommend you getting a soil test. If you're just starting out in your lawn, um, mm -hmm. people can say what they want to say. Uh, sure. That is a good foundation for where you should start. Um, and then from there, you can now build upon that and then develop a program that's going to give you the results that you're looking for and also potentially save you some money from putting out a whole bunch of stuff that you don't need if you didn't get that data to help you make that decision. I, I, I love that approach. Uh, and I think Ray, Ray, we, uh, let me ask you this, and I'm sure Cam is probably curious of the answer because we, we, we all love us and Ray. So, so let me ask you this, Ray, would you agree a hundred percent that you were the same way, like a hundred percent data driven or very, very much leading that way. If we had to, you know, choose the one to five on the, you know, the survey scale or whatever, like, or is there still an element of, and I think this is what Cam has sort of d learned through his trials and tribulations. And I don't I want to put words in your mouth, but like the feel or the art aspect of how to blend those things. So Ray, what do you think? What's the, what's the right blend for you of art versus science and, and data? Okay. Because we're dealing with something that's very aesthetic. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I would probably place myself at the 90% data, but 10% is art. And for me, the numbers just give a plausible explanation for what I'm seeing. That's what data is to me, is that it, gives me a you know good explanation for what i'm seeing and i over the years i've developed the ability to correlate what i'm seeing with a certain number for example mm -hmm. i can do that mm -hmm. but the only the, the thing is is that in order for me to do that i had to actually learn it in a very scientific manner because I still remember my third year soil science class <laughs> at university. Long time ago, Ray. <laughs> no, but then I remember it quite vividly because start of the semester, we had these pots lined up in the greenhouse, right? And every single plant was a deficiency knockout of one element. So something was deficient in, say, nitrogen. Something was deficient in potassium, phosphorus, magnesium, calcium, manganese, sulfur, etc. And the experiment was replicated for both, I believe, field corn and soybeans. So you got to observe effect of what you're seeing. And of course, the other part of this was you then run the soil test on all of these uh, specimens, right? Soil mm -hmm. test and tissue test. And then you got to correlate all of these numbers with what you were seeing, hopefully. So, yeah, 
data and numbers mean something and so for me me too i base what i do on some kind of concrete data and that is where i get real cross-eyed for example when i have people saying oh just throw this down and I'm, i ask why why do you why? need this uh for what <laughs> i mean why are you doing this or people get into this uh microbe hugger you know loop and i'm like i'm gonna stop them and say you know what i don't care about the microbes because show me the test that says that if this certain bacterial colony is not present i'm going to have problems with the grass or the ornamentals show me that data first before you talk to me about microbes and I, so in that vein of like what's important and what's not i guess cam as you have come okay so you've come from a place where numbers and concrete data and all that stuff is important for you to make decisions right and then you come yeah. into the space where it's like whoa like i don't know how to apply <laughs> that concept yet what has been the most impactful way that you've used data to make good decisions like it doesn't have to be just one but what are some of the ones that you've found to be the most important to you as you've gone and started and where you are today to where you are today so i I will go ahead and say so fertilization i mean that that's mm -hmm. a big part of lawn care right there um so mm -hmm. fertilization and having that data it has drove me to um i think getting the results that i'm getting out of my lawn now um so understanding uh especially from like uh your cec like i thought i didn't know that my soil was as sandy as what it was um and now understanding that that changed the whole way that i fertilized my lawn um and now i'm able to sustain that nice green and not get those flushes of up and down up and down when you're just dumping a whole bunch of fertilizer on in larger amounts and it doesn't last that long because you're seeing so soil sandy and we get all this rain over here as you right. call it in the armpit of of turf care um <laughs> but and and then it's it's not able to hold all of those nutrients to where the plant can actually utilize it so using that data and being able to understand how it works and then changing it and making a fertilization program based on my conditions and not based off of somebody else's lawn care plan. Um, I don't have anything against anybody that's got lawn care plans out there, but I think yeah. there's just so many different variables from house to house to house that you need to alter and be able to have that data to be able to alter that program so that it fits you. And I would agree with that, that, you know, there's, there's, I guess a certain, here, here's what I always say, right. Is like, it's a different way of saying it, but the same thing is that, you know, a, a, a plan that you get like that is, you know, sort of a collection of tasks, right. That should mm -hmm. yield a good result. And I would call that maintenance, right. So like if I, you know, 
have a boiler system right at at you know work or a school or something like that or if i have um you know an aircraft that i have like yeah like i'm gonna go do the things i need that i'm supposed to do at certain intervals and i should expect right you know that this should work out here's the difference though between the boiler system or the aircraft or whatever is that there are no manufacturers recommended instructions right there's as we talked last week with you know dr shaddix there are the you know the people that grow the you know turf and that are uh you know manufacturers in the sense of they're trying to sell you stuff and then there's the folks that are you know university academics that have you know in some cases limited means of being able to research and tell you every last thing that you want to know from a data perspective so there is this void right to your point that gray area that exists and how do we live within that it's tough right it can be it can be very mm-hmm. challenging so you know, I think what you're talking about, though, in, in, you know, some people argue and say, oh, it's semantics. It doesn't, it means the same thing is rather than saying maintenance, right? A, a maintenance plan. We need a management plan, right? We need to be able to yep. adapt to different weather, different, you know, different pests, you know, things that, you know, we can either foresee, you know, seasonally or, you know, or that come up that are unforeseen, right? Um, you know, uh, army worms a couple of years ago, right. In the, the central and Eastern part of the United oh, States. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, you know, things like that, that you manage that system. And I think, you know, Ray, Ray can definitely, you know, I think agree here that it's easy to sit there and make a list of things that, Oh, I'm going to do this, 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 yeah. and this. And when something doesn't till go you, to plan, punched in the mouth. <laughs> that's what well, it's a Mike Tyson quote, right? Everybody's got a plan that, until they get punched Mike, in the mouth. That's the Mike Tyson quote that is likewise so applicable to turf grass because this is where can part of the art of turf grass management is you know what? Shut your mouth and open your eyes. And open your ears, as my father was f- fond of saying. <laughs> and yeah. the reason why he said that is because too many people are busy talking, 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 but they are not mm-hmm. paying attention to what is in front yeah. of them or going yeah. on around them. And because of that, they are missing out on what's going on around them that can possibly tell them something and that is like the 10 percent of me too where i get a lot of hell because people say you know you walk around you look around and you haven't touched anything or done anything and (laughs) you know i tell them what i am doing is i am taking everything in so that I can make a smarter decision rather than just, how shall I say, acting and reacting. Uh, I much prefer to be proactive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that and that's tough. Yeah, and, like, yeah, explain that to people. It's got to be sometimes it's, it's not doing anything. And I know we've talked about that yeah. before here, too. So, okay, so... Mm-hmm on that side of like learning to live in that, that gray space or whatever, right. That it was between somewhere between academic research and hard numbers and trying to validate your own stuff, right. As you learn and go through versus, you know, the claims we'll call them is, uh, you know, I think from the first time that we spoke until now, you know, you've continued to learn, continue to grow. And I mean, I've seen that 
you know, in your content. I've seen that in the conversations that we've had, all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, my question is this without you can, you, whatever you want to announce your, your, you know, your, your tease for tonight, that's fine. But I want to ask you in this vein is whether you announce it now or not is, um, you're clearly like in a level of comfort with where you're at right now that you feel like you need to push and step outside that. Like, otherwise you yeah. wouldn't be doing this either that, or you're just a damn fool. I mean, I don't think that at all. I've seen they have a timeout. Let me get a timeout. We've all seen that. And I don't care if it's like home improvement, lawn care, whatever, that person that gets way out over their skis. Like, you know what, man? Yep. I'm going to buy a Corvette and restore it. No, you're not Ted. No, you're not. Like you don't know the first damn thing. You don't even own a socket set. No, I'm going to do it, man. I'm going to tear my lawn out and I'm going to do, I'm going to put in, uh, you know, Three quarter inch uh, perennial ryegrass, man. Just watch, like Marty. You ain't doing uh, that. Nope, I mean, you might try. It's just a matter of how far <laughs> you get before this entire thing explodes in your face, right? Like, so I don't get that vibe at all. But we all have that friend, right? Or we all have that acquaintance that we're like, yeah. oh boy, yeah. here goes Marty. But in this yeah. case, like, tell me about the the mindset behind. And this, I think, this is important because it informs people, especially that watch this channel. Uh, that like us and don't hate us um, is that uh, <laughs> it is oh, hey just saying um, that there is a certain amount of growth that everybody that that watches us and enjoys us goes through yeah. and then they get to this point where they're like man I gotta you know I gotta try something different try something else somebody said in the chat before you know you got a FAFO to, to feel good about yourself so just tell me about the mindset going into this you know and you can spill the beans whenever it doesn't have to be right now but in general what are you thinking and why this and why now? Just why now? Um, so I, I will say it's, it's one of those things that I've, I've been, I've been in cool season for a while. So um, that was another hint. I've been doing cool, cool season <laughs> lawns for, for, for a bit. Um, and I get a number of questions about warm season stuff and I've never done any warm season type stuff. Um, Coming from the South, everybody's got it. Uh, I mean, for the most part, I mean, they're running Centipede, Bermuda. Um, didn't see much Zoysia in my area, um, but mm -hmm. Centipede and Bermuda were basically dominant. Uh, and I never really saw any, like, amazing lawns. Like, just, man, they look good. Um, and then, too, we were dealing with bigger yards and stuff down there, too. We are talking acres at a, at a minimum. Um, and, and in the fact of doing cool season for a while, it's like, I just feel like it's always like a challenge. I, I like a challenge. And when you step outside your comfort zone, you tend to get some growth and, and, it, mm -hmm. and, and it may be a challenge and it's not going to be easy. Uh, but that's just kind of been how my life has went. Um, all the way through academia, everything like I've moved away. I've lived out in Iowa. I've lived in Kentucky, like not the known part of Kentucky, like in the middle of nowhere, Kentucky. Um, and then I've, I've moved up here where I'm living right now in Maryland, like just away from all of my surroundings. I spent a year in Japan um living and working over there like i've always challenged myself and i've always been looking for that next challenge and i think now is the time like i i need a challenge i need to bring something new uh to the channel so 
I'll go ahead and say it. We are about to bring on some warm season turf onto uh, Elevated Lawnscapes channel. We will start to see some warm season turf coming in. And uh, it's going to be a full renovation. So just <laughs> as I do, it's not going to be anything small. I'm jumping all the way in. <laughs> We're going 20,000 20, square feet right off the gate. Let's well, go. Listen, it's all about, <laughs> hey, listen, it's all about how you term it, right, in terms of scale. Some people might say, you know, goddamn, damn, that's a whole lawn. I mean, you could just say, you know, it's 20,000 square foot test plot. You know, I'm just not sure yet, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, 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 still... it's only a half, only a half an acre. I mean, that's yeah. uh, not not yeah. uh, extraordinary. It's one lawn, just right? Half, it's just one just, lawn, just a half acre. Hey, if Rake I need to go so, to the man. other half acre, I can go to the other half acre. Well, I was gonna say you got <laughs> options. Ray, I'm saying though, in Hawaii, Ray could sell both of his kidneys right now today and not pay for the sod that it would take to do twenty thousand square feet. So yeah, you know, right. you got that going exactly. For you. I, yeah. Yeah. And, and furthermore, yeah. there's not a lot of Bermuda to even be had. So mm. I'm doubly messed up. I mean, so yeah, Cam, I think you're kind of in a good place. And you were planning on, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, mm. you were planning on seeding in Bermuda into. Basically, a lawn that has seen better days. <laughs> yeah, it take us through the synopsis. Seen... Yeah, so uh, J Pink, if you want to pop some of those pictures up, um, this is present day. Uh, my pops actually sent them to me yesterday. So we're we're dealing with North Carolina. Um, so this is dormant uh bermuda that are uh centipede that has now been overtaken by weeds um so mm -hmm. uh where we are right now um the lawn used to look amazing like it just has the centipede is like it has gotten to the end of its life like it, it has just given up the ghost it's just so the house is now probably close to 30 getting close to no it's about 20 years old yeah, yeah. So we're 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 talking about twenty twenty something, a little over twenty something years old um, at the house, uh, and it has just kind of given up the ghost. It, it's <laughs> no matter what, no matter what you do to it, and 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 it's been very little. Like so, the past couple of years, it's just kind of continued to go downhill, and a lot of my lawn care and my love for it came from my dad um, because he always kept a nice yard no matter what mm. even at our <laughs> old house like it was always nice so i know he's not happy right now um so mm. with that i'm gonna try and help him out uh we're gonna do a, a a good little father and son project here and uh we're gonna get it we're gonna get out here and get after it um we've already started uh so at this point um i think we've already talked about some of the lime applications uh that i've already made uh already and of course you know i started with a soil test uh we got the data and everything hey that's one thing i forgot to send over forgot to send over to the soil test um mm. got that and then we made the corrections uh so we've we've already went down and fogged it up and i had that spiker spreader rolling hey just turn it wide <laughs> open and, and let it fly <laughs> 
So no, you were just you were just like turning it white. You were just turning yeah. it white with lime, yeah. and I think Cam, you would not have even known that that had to be done unless you got mm-hmm. that soil test, right? You wouldn't have known. Yep. Although to me, yep. in, intuitively, you know, this is the art part. Is for me normally. Anywhere I see centipede grass growing yeah, natively low and naturally, I'm a, I'm going to assume mm-hmm. low pH. However, I mean I'm fond of this saying on this show of assumption is the mother of all screw ups. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. I don't like to necessarily assume. So good job on the on the soil test because then. With that soil test in hand now, Cam, you now know, okay, what kind of lime do do you even need to put down, right? What type? Because there's two basic types of lime. There's dolomitic lime, which introduces a certain level of magnesium. And then there's calcitic lime, which is just straight calcium for cases where your soil magnesium is already adequate to excessive. And so per, just for the, just for our listeners, which category did you fall into? Dolomitic or calcitic? Dolomitic. Dolomitic because what both were on the lowest side more. and yep. and here's what I know about Bermuda. Is Bermuda is basically hungry for both calcium and magnesium. And it is to the point where I've literally seen instances where a low pH, lack of calcium, lack of magnesium gets to the point where no matter how much nitrogen you throw at that grass, that grass will never look nice. Right. Okay? It'll always look pale and sick and anemic, and you're going to be blasting it with the nitrogen and more nitrogen and you're going to wonder why <laughs> yeah so yeah we yeah. i went down with that um knowing i think ph we were ph was i was just over there looking for it ph was like a five i think it was like a five five or a five six something like that um so it it needed some movement um <laughs> uh pretty 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 low cec um on that so really didn't so it it was and buffer ph was was fairly low so um it wasn't going to take a whole whole lot to be able to move it but uh we ended up with a, a thousand pounds down uh thousand thousand pounds of lime turn them white <laughs> turn it white <laughs> went, went, went down and <laughs> so we, we we've got that part down and that was back in like just after new year so beginning of uh, beginning of January. So it's been down uh, a little over two months now or about two months now. So we'll let, we'll let that work. They've been getting decent rain and stuff down there. So now it's on to the next step, uh, getting prepared for the, uh, for the kill off and uh, trying to figure out what we're going to do next for ground prep and uh, what kind of sprigs or we going or are we going to have to seed it? So, Ooh, that's what I got I mean, some options. I got some options of what I want to do. 
Um, so let's let's go ahead let's and talk get about into that. it. Let's, and... let, let's talk about that. So your options as you surveyed them, I guess. Uh, what have, first of all, what have you settled on? And then let's talk about like what the tipping points are in making this decision. Let's let's talk about that. Options first, and then pros and cons basically of each in your mind. All right. So um, seed. I've grown seed before. I, 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 I've grown a lot of seed. You're before. familiar. Yeah. yeah. Familiar. It's, it's, it's not as much of a challenge there. Um, so I want to do something different and something uh, that I haven't had any experience with before. So again, me wanting to take on new challenges. Uh, so I would <laughs> like to sprig it is what I want to do. Um, I want to go with okay. sprigs. Um, and one of the things is, uh, I want to go with iron cutter. That is oh. what I want to go with. Yeah. <laughs> I want to go Ray, with iron cutter. My shorts just got tight. All right. That's good. <laughs> Mine too. Mine too. I mean, that's just, you know, TMI and, mm. you know, to get, you know, to the, you know, to the point, you know, can growing in from sprigs is not that much different from growing in a lawn from seed. It's not that much okay. different because, you know, when you have sprigs, the most important thing is water. Okay, that's the most important okay. thing is water because. With sprigs, now, the way I want to explain sprigs to people are sprigs are just like cuttings of your desirable grass. And when I say cuttings, the sprigs are pieces of roots and stolons and maybe even some rhizomes that have all been shoved into a bag or shoved into a trailer and here you go and to the uninitiated people are going to look at that and say oh that ain't nothing that's just a trailer full of grass clippings i mean what what you going to do with that but to somebody like us mm -hmm. that is the beginning of a new lawn however okay when you have those sprigs because that is live grass, and I consider them unrooted cuttings. Most important thing when you have unrooted cuttings, of course, is water. Until those sprigs take root in your soil, you're going to have to keep them from dehydrating and blowing away. Yeah, it's just the most I, important I thing. <laughs> it, it's the it's the toughest thing, and it's the most critical thing. And I can tell you that uh, it has probably been the thing that uh, I saw it firsthand this year. And I'll tell you how here in a second. JPEG, mm -hmm. I'm going to throw you a link, and if you can throw this up, and we'll walk through just what this looks like for Cam's benefit, mostly of what it looks like to grow in iron cutter from sprigs and what it looks like so jump into that uh second or third photo there not the two that's the old field click on that link uh yeah right there and we're just gonna cycle through all right so this is the day of spring as ray said this is a, a on a sand cap right so 
when you do it in soil, sure. uh, it can be a little bit more challenging just in terms of uh, something else that we're going to talk about here because you have brought with you all the receipts and we're going to talk about a, a, a very important study that was done a few years back and, and talk about how that fits into what we're going to say here. What I'm about to say, though, is that uh, when you do it on soil, the the process of having to dry it out so that you can do, you know, uh, make a, a, a fertilizer application right up front is uh, a little bit challenging. So you know, I'd strongly encourage you, if you're going to do it on soil, is using, you know, a slow release product. It's not something I would normally recommend, but on soil, it's just so darn challenging to get this stuff dried out reasonably enough that you're not going to rut it all up. So let's just kind of walk through this and on the backside, we'll unpack a few things. And one particular thing that I'm concerned with that you don't have access to that I do. And uh, we'll kind of walk through with Ray how we can deal with it. So, all right, slide through you here, just, Jay Pink. You just, answered, you just answered one of my questions that I was, uh, I was debating already on the fertilizer. Well, so here, this what, is it dried down without water on it. So like if you back up, back up okay. to the first one, Jay Pink. This is right after it's done watering. So it's it's just wet enough on top that you're seeing a sheen of water, um, but no more, nothing more like that. So, okay, keep sliding forward here, J-Pink. Keep going. There it is all dried out. So this is week zero, essentially. This is uh, dried the down. day it was yeah. mm-hmm. a little. Yep. So mm-hmm. slide down, keep going, keep going, keep going. So, all right, so here we are. This is uh, about 14 days after the initial sprigging. So, you know, just like Ray said, these are chopped up pieces of plant parts, right, uh, that are harvested as sprigs. If you're going to make your own from a sod, it's the same principle. And, again, the idea is is that they start to push out new growth. They tack into the soil. And then, you know, your runners and your your rhizomes start spreading, you know, underground uh, and below or underground and above ground and start knitting together, almost like a piece of carpet here. Okay, so keep sliding forward, what Jay Pink. What was the rate? What rate did y'all go down with about? Uh, this here is a, uh, this is a 600 pound bushel or 600 bushel per acre rate, I should say. Um, and we'll talk about why okay. that's important too from your, from your study. I yeah. think that study is a really, really important one. All right. So slide forward here. We're still at two weeks, two weeks here still. Keep it rolling. All right. Here we go. This is about four, four and a half weeks in. So we're ready to mow. All right. Um, you know, the bigger the area, the splotchier you might have some coverage, things like that. If you're not, you know, how the, those sprigs go in, uh, this machine here that put these sprigs in, push the, you know, basically spread the sprigs out over the surface. And then it had these like little discs that you can control the depth and what they call crimp that into the ground. So if there's mm-hmm. some way, shape or form, you can find a crimper, you know, just a, a grooved roller of some type um man that makes a big big difference but if if you can't do that just a roughed up soil surface right before you start so like you know not a rough harley rake but you know it's it's kind of loose and friable up on top it's not like wet and tacky so where you can put that stuff down and then take just a you know a pull behind or a walk behind roller uh with it and push that down in the ground a little bit yes and roll it in (laughs) now i will say this too is that on 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 this stuff you know this is getting mowed here on its uh, initial mow at like three quarters something like that and um one thing i can tell you for a fact no matter which one you're growing in you know rolling this repeatedly so this was mowed um every other day and rolled every day 
And the idea was is that you know, you're okay. trying to push those runners down on the ground as much as you can. Now, yeah, you're backing off the water a lot here, too. You know, these are now established plants. They just need to kind of grow and do their thing. So once you get through that first three or so weeks, you know, maybe up into week four, your watering is not going to have to be as crazy after that. You know, you can really start to back down and get more into, uh, you know, maybe, maybe just a couple of times a day. And that's really it. Um, so go ahead and push forward here, Jay Pink. So first mowing, things are looking good. But like I said, four, four and a half weeks. This is uh, probably another week later. You know, starting to fill in, do a pretty good job here. Again, this is about five and a half, six weeks, something like that. Uh, same day as that uh, big picture was taken just before that. Keep it rolling here, Jay Pink. So, you know, seeing some scalping and seeing some areas here that are a little stubborn to fill in. You know, some of this here is uh, just traffic from the sprig machine where it just pushed those sprigs down a little too deep. You might not have that, but you will probably have more attrition. And when I say attrition, I mean like, you know, uh, sprigs or little plant parts that just don't make it because they're not packed in. Yeah, Yeah, you're going to have that if you can't crimp them in there really well. All right, so go ahead and roll it forward. So here we are. This is probably about seven weeks. Uh, This was an incredibly quick grow-in. This was uh balls of the wall the entire time this is about day 60 right here so just about eight weeks in uh and again still some density issues you can see here like kind of over on the right about where the hash mark would be you know there's still a couple little spots here and there but overall doing pretty good and then this so this is two weeks after that last picture this is 10 weeks so this went from you go all the way back to that rice patty looking thing to this right here that's 70 days Let's do so, it. <laughs> Let's do it. Get the hose. Get the hoses out. <laughs> so there you go. All right. So, you know, the things that you don't have access to that worry me, and I want Ray to give his opinion here. So, you know, from a pre-emergence standpoint, you know, we think about weeds and what could pop up, and you know, the first concern is going to be summer annuals, which in your area is going to be crabgrass, goosegrass, right? So uh, maybe even Dallas grass. So the the concern here is is that um, you know we get into uh, a situation where we have grassy weeds, annual and perennial, right? That might be difficult to deal with, and we can't use our normal uh, DNI, so dinitroaniline, so like Dimension yeah. uh, or, or Dithiopyr yeah. or Prodiamine yeah. or Barricade. Prodiamine. We can't use those because yeah. we will not get anything to, sp- to to spread out and get going. Tactone. Yes, what we normally do in a sports field situation is we have access to uh we have access to a product called ron star right but so you know, old buddy ron not that ron though um <laughs> he'd sell you some if you asked for it though i'm sure um but the whole point there is that ron star is a cheat code in the fact that ray explain what ron star does and then explain why cam can't use it and then maybe third, okay. what are we going to do without Ronstar in this case? Without Ronstar. Okay. What Ronstar does is Ronstar is a pre-emergent. However, it acts in a very different way from your traditional pre-emergent because what Ronstar does is when it is applied to the soil surface, it does not inhibit root development. However, what Ronstar does to the weed seeds that are attempting to emerge is the weed seeds will contact that film of Ronstar on the soil surface 
and that herbicide is extremely corrosive to that new shoot that is attempting to pop up. Mm-hmm. So it'll just burn it off and kill it. However, here's the issue with Ronstar. Ronstar is a aquatic pollutant. Ronstar is also a possible carcinogen. And Ronstar is also a skin and eye irritant. Therefore, there is something on the bag of Ronstar granule and on the jug of Ronstar flowable. Do not apply to residential turf. Only allowed in sod farms, sports fields, and golf courses. That's the only, those are the only places where you're allowed to use that. So, what do we do without Ronstar? Okay. There's, I have a program for going without Ronstar because I've actually been dealing with sprigged Bermuda, sprigged St. Augustine, and sprigged Zoysia in residential lawns for, I don't know, for almost 30 years. So, what I've used in that situation is, as a pre-emergent, Simazine. Simazine. Yeah. However, please listen. The amount of Simazine that you apply at, you know, after sprigging is literally only the equivalent of one pound per acre. No more. Okay. And then the other thing that you can do when your sprigs are, I want to say, 50% covered, is you may apply a very low rate of prodiamine. I'm talking about (laughs) no more than eight ounces of the WDG per acre. You don't go. You don't go two plus pounds uh, annual max on on the new sprigs. Right. Now, don't please don't. Only if you're trying to. Sell. And then, finally, once you have tack down of the sprigs, and say you have some undesirables coming up in your growing, did you know that you can treat? With selective herbicides at that time. Yeah, yeah. Um, would you would you recommend uh, waiting until the first mow, or just after they no once, they, once they're once they're attacked down, just go for it at that point. Once they're attacked down, start. Please start because the worst situation I've had to deal with growing wise was when somebody. They delayed any attempt at weed control until the goosegrass was literally the size of a dinner plate. Hmm. And then, you know, Ryan, at that point, I literally had to bust out that thing that Jim Brosnan talks about. Which one's that? Oh, uh, the Pilex and Syncor. Oh, yeah. So that's, I mean, that's interesting. <laughs> I'll see if I can pull out uh, the YouTube video. Well, it, it, it will come back but, but to that. But, but, any, but, but anyway, ahead, Cam, 
okay, once you have tacked down and some development of your sprigs, here's what you can do in that new lawn. You may apply Celsius. You may apply Revolver. You may apply Quicksilver. You may apply Halosulfuron or Certainty or Monument. You can do those things as soon as you have rooting and some development of those sprigs. And the beauty of doing it when your sprigs are still young and your weeds hopefully are still very small, you can put the lights out on the weeds using pretty moderate rates of those herbicides. And what I like about herbicides, like say Monument and Celsius, is that those both act as pre-emergence against further weed growth in a lot of cases. Okay. Now, a lot of people don't see that in lawn care because they are thinking only apply to individual weeds. But in this case, I'm telling you, send that mix over the entire lawn when you start seeing weeds and just be done with it. Because, Ryan, can you explain to Cam what happens when you apply such a mix to a sprigged field? That does have some grassy and broadleaf weeds coming out. <laughs> Explain to uh, to Cam what happens. <laughs> well, it can be a little <laughs> ugly, and that's kind of what I want to show is some of the stuff yeah. that came out of. So this this whole program. Let me send these to J Pink real quick. Um, yeah, these are yeah, programs look, that are, it's going to be scary. I mean, it, you uh, yeah. like a lot scary. So. Okay, so this is work that was done uh, originally at uh, Virginia Tech, and then they brought mm -hmm. it over to UT here to study it a little bit more. Uh, Jim Brosnan did. But really, this is Sean Askew in his lab, and I cannot remember uh, the other weed scientists there that really like dug in deep and, and wrote the paper on this. So this is just them validating data. I believe this is Tahoma 31, so another cold-tolerant. Bermuda grass, right? That is, okay. you know, uh, close enough in terms of what it's gonna, what you're gonna see. I would say that it is just a tad bit more sensitive to herbicide damage, but you're seeing essentially what is, you know, just a low rate of speed zone and the pilot. So this is trying to take out goose out of um, uh, Bermuda, right? So, Ray, can you explain quickly uh, while I pull up the rest of these pictures why speed zone? Uh, not necessarily by itself. I mean, I can, and we had some pretty good success with uh, with it this year uh, in concert with a couple other things, but not that was specifically labeled for goose. But why speed zone in particular has been shown to be effective? What what are the, the, the reasons that that seems to work on goosegrass where it doesn't control any other grassy weed? Okay, the reason why is because goosegrass happens to be rather susceptible to one herbicide in that speed zone formulation called carfentrazone. And what happens to goosegrass that is contacted by carfentrazone, especially when you at a fairly young stage of growth, is that, that goosegrass is just burnt, torched. Now, 
I noticed on that slide that Ryan put up that it was applied in combination with Pylex. Here is what happens when you apply Pylex and Carfentrazone together. What happens is that there's a moderation of the effect of the Pylex on the Bermuda. However, the opposite of that is that it enhances the negative effect on your weeds like goosegrass. And so if I didn't want to deal with speed zone, one of my options would be, say, tenacity plus carfentrazone by itself or hylix plus carfentrazone by itself. That is uh, how one may go after goosegrass without the internet's darling. And do you know what the internet's darling is, uh, Cam? <laughs> Robert Palmer? Oh, sorry. No. No. <laughs> no, MSMA. Because you've got all of these people saying, eh, just, just go down, get a jug of MSMA, and start spraying right. it all over the place. However, the reality on that is, is that on goosegrass especially, one application of MSMA is not necessarily going to do it. You're talking about right. spraying it maybe two or three times in it. And while right. you're doing that, let's see, you've broken the label by spraying it the first time on a residential lawn, and then you're going to break the label again and then again. Yeah, Whereas yeah. all of these, you know, all of these products that I'm describing to you are legal and labeled for application to a residential lawn. How's that? Uh -huh. <laughs> hey, hey, we, so show, we like to stay. We like, we like to stay in bounds sometimes. I mean, we, we we like mm -hmm. to. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't. Not two I don't feet. One, one foot. You know. Yeah. No yeah. good in orange. Yeah, How about just like college, like just one foot in bounds, just one foot in bounds. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No. No. Show. <laughs> throw that Pilex only up here. Oh, do we show the speeds. Here's the speed zone and Pilex. So it's masking that bleaching effect. Now here's Pilex by itself, right? Holy so this is an HP, yes, HPPD yeah. inhibitor, right? So we know it's mm. it's meant to control Bermuda grass, allegedly. See, that's what I was uh, expecting to see right there. Now the let's bleaching. look at yes. Pilex, Pilex, yep. and Sencor, and then I want Ray to explain this. So look at this. Day ten doesn't look like anything's happening, right? And then mm -hmm. look at day twenty-one; mm -hmm. it's clean. All that goose is gone. So Ray. Talk about what Jim Brosnan found, or the the, and really, it was was John Brewer, uh, um, was the gentleman at uh, um, Virginia Tech that really like figured out and dialed in the rates on this. But tell us why mm -hmm. this is happening when you combine these two specific chemicals. It's not a very, uh, it, it is not something that uh, would have done, been done had this research not been done, right? So Actually, somebody really did FAFO here. Go ahead. It, it this was there there was a further FAFO because my friend uh Joe DeFrank was doing some trials at a sports field in Hawaii and the maintenance crew was laying down Sencor, right? 
and they overlap into his test plots. And what happened where they overlapped into his test plots, where he was testing both, uh, I believe, Pilex and Tenacity, is that wherever they overlapped with their Syncore app, two things happened. It mitigated the whitening or the bleaching, and it just turned the goosegrass and the other grassy weeds crispy. And let me please explain why that's happening. Syncore is what's called a triazine herbicide. And as a triazine herbicide, what Syncore is doing is it is aggressively reducing or eliminating photosynthesis in the weed and in the grass as well. However, when you have Pilex, what Pilex is doing is Pilex is inhibiting an enzyme that produces what's called a carotene pigment in the grass leaves. And what the carotene pigment is important for is carotene is important to keep the sunlight from breaking down and destroying chlorophyll. So you see that whitening or that bleaching? When Pilex is used by itself, that is the sign that the carotenoid pigment has been eliminated from the plant. And with no carotene, the chlorophyll just gets literally bleached out by the sun. And when that happens, uh, things are not long in this world. But <laughs> when you have the inhibition of Photosynthesis by the triazine herbicide like Syncor, uh, atrazine will do this, and also thimazine will do this as well. But when you have that photosynthetic inhibition, two things happen. One is bleaching is mitigated on otherwise sensitive turf grass species like Bermuda grass and even C. aspellum. But in uh, unwanted species like, say, goosegrass or crabgrass, that delay in photosynthesis makes that herbicide that much more active and toxic in the grass. And so it just makes it, rather than what you see on, like, when you put Pilex or Tenacity on crabgrass by itself, it just kind of bleaches out and then it recovers. Right. If you right. have Syncor, Cinezine, or Atrazine in that spray, instead of it turning into a temporary bleach and then it's back, it's called... It bounces right back. This one is, it bleaches, it browns, and then it's dead, gone. Okay. Okay. <laughs> So that's what's happening. Right, cool. That was that was definitely one of the topics that I wanted to talk about was we control because more than likely that's gonna be something that's gonna happen. Like it, it just, oh, absolutely. It, it just it just is what it is. It's gonna happen. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. If we could, if we could uh, rewind just a little bit, so please. Uh, let's talk uh, kill off and ground prep. Okay. 
So let, mm-hmm. let's hit those two topics. And then, because uh, the ground prep is, of course, to me, I think is is going to be one of the key key ones of uh, before we get the sprigs and everything down. Then I got another curveball for you on the sprigs. <laughs> oh, boy. All right, so <laughs> I would say I just got I just got pitched that curveball uh yesterday when I made a phone call. <laughs> All right. Oh my. <laughs> okay. So the idea uh the idea here I think is you know, the more invasive you get, uh obviously the greater propensity you're going to have to you know have weak competition, you know, that sort of thing and mm-hmm. you know, in a way the uh the grass, you know, being there and being dead, just like when you overseed into, you know, uh, grass that's been sprayed out and fallowed, right? And cool season, you know, that, that existing turf is sitting there acting sort of as uh, its own form of erosion control. So, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world. Uh, I would say, though, that, you know, where you do need to get aggressive for sure is areas where grading is a concern, right? So if you have, like, you know, um, wet areas, high areas, things like that, um bird bass you know small areas that are puddling th- things of that nature it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world but i mean we you know uh, we've had re-sprigs where we've just literally gone out in a in a patch like this where you know turf is you know beat up dead whatever and just airified the ever-living hell out of it dragged the plugs and just went right into that we've also had it where we've stripped all that stuff off and completely you know went uh Went bare, you know, down to bare soil. So, you know, I think that getting, uh, you know, power rake, Harley rake, that type of thing in there, you know, you could do it. I think the other thing to consider too is, you know, what your sprigging method is going to be. Just like we talked about before, where you know you do need to get really good contact, and if you have a bunch of vegetation and thatch and everything else that's up there in the top, it's going to be hard to get contact on your soil for those mm-hmm. sprigs. So. Uh, you know, that's why like each one of these decisions becomes, you know, that much more, uh, in focus. So if it's going to be a situation where you're just like broadcasting these out and tossing these out by hand and just rolling them in, then I'd probably just go ahead and, you know, Harley rake the whole darn thing, you know, windrow all the grass and try to haul that, you know, extra vegetation off, you know, so it's not just sitting there and it's just tilled in cause you're going to get lumpy and bumpy and everything like that. My other question too here, as far as the finished product goes, is what will this be mowed with, and at what height do you anticipate? Uh, so it'll be mowed with a uh, forty-eight. I think it's got a forty-eight inch rod on uh, John John Deere. Um, so it'll okay. be rotary. It'll be rotary mode, okay. um, okay. and mm-hmm. he'll probably end up cutting it inch, inch and a half, maybe. Okay. Yeah, it'll do fine at that um, height, no problem. Yeah. I mean he, he well, typically uh, he typically cuts it and, and cutting it on a regular is not gonna be a problem. And right <laughs> now that's kind of where he can that's kinda where he keeps the centipede at right now is about mm-hmm. a is is about an inch is, is about where it's at right now. So uh he, he, he keeps it fairly fairly low. So I, I don't think that'll that'll be a problem. Well, that's good. So I would say that, uh, you know, the the quote unquote leveling, right, or the grade is important. Don't get me wrong. But at that height, I'm not as concerned about, you know, it being yeah. a thousand percent perfect. So, 
I think you can get away with a little bit more in that sense and, and be fine. Ray, what do you think as far as ground prep, knowing that, you know, the the sprig application or installation method is going to be a little challenged? And I don't mean that like it's just it's really specialized equipment to do it the 100 percent right way. So yeah. if you're yeah, trying to hedge you, against that, what would you say? Well, what I would probably say is. As Ryan was saying, rough up that surface because that rough surface is going to be the receptor for the sprigs. And then once you have your sprigs, you know, down where you're like, it's as if you're, you're throwing grass clippings. Once it's down like that, then you roll and you roll and you roll some more. <laughs> Not necessarily a thousand pound roller, but then you roll it for two reasons. One, so that the sprigs contact the ground, you know, really tight. And two, mm -hmm. so that when you need to walk on this for maintenance, you That's don't better. sink down, you know, up to your ankles. Because honestly, for me, the worst thing that I that I have to deal with is when somebody doesn't compact or roll enough, I get out there and I take a step into that lawn and I'm down to my ankles and you know what a small guy I am. So that's not supposed to happen. It ain't like I'm fat or anything. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> so, so, so you buy so that house are... next to Waffle House. Go ahead. <laughs> so, so y'all are y'all are hitting on the the points of exactly what I was planning to do. So my my plan was after kill off, coming through and Harley raking the mm -hmm. the entire area. Come through Harley rake. Um, we've also got a drag that I was gonna come come through and get up most of uh, as much of. Uh, the vegetation and stuff that's left, the trash, all of that yeah, debris yeah. and everything else, get it cleaned up as much as possible, um, and then come back in. And like you said, I probably do some watering in between, a little bit of watering in there to get it to settle <laughs> a a little bit, um, yep. and then mm -hmm. start the then start the rolling process just a little bit, and then uh, let it fallow for a couple of uh, a week or so. Uh, because I think at least probably two weeks because I'm pretty sure that some weeds and stuff are going to start to popping up with the water and everything else. Hit it again, just clean up whatever is there, rough the soil up, and then drop in uh, the sprigs and then rolling and get the water going. I like it. I was going to say, here, I'm going to show you. <laughs> Let's see if I got this here. Send this over for. Uh, yeah, that so, sounds good. One thing Damn, I mean, one thing you go ahead. I was gonna say one thing you can do is, um, if you do that, like you know that all that prep with the, you know, with the power rake and all that kind of stuff, and get it close, and then you let it sit there and just get rained on or whatever. Uh, hang on, J Pink, I sent you the wrong link. Um, if you do that, then at the time when it's ready to sprig, you can use this guy here. I'd highly recommend it. Nice little tool to have around. You can use it for a variety of different things, and I'll tell you how you can make it even more useful here in a second. As soon as JP mm. throws this up, this is your old, <laughs> yeah, the old chain harrow, the old chain harrow wow. drag. So if you, flip that's it what like I was this, talking about. I already got, already got one. 
You got one. Awesome. A awesome. Man, because man my heart. I already got one. I used it to plant food plots last fall. I got one. Yeah. I got one already. <laughs> you can flip it over so the tines yep. are up and do just fine. It's mm-hmm. smooth on the surface. So if it's, not, if it's not too bad, you just kind of rough it up like that. But if you really need to kind of like feed it up a little bit right before you, uh, you do your sprigging, you can turn it this way with the tines down and then come back around and just flip it yeah. over. my man i've got I, i've got one that's already down there at my house that's what i was planning to use so after we did the hard yeah. work i was planning to come back in with this and uh we've got a four-wheeler that we're going to be using to just to, to come through yes. clean and clean it up and then do like the roughing part of it and then we can bring in the the mower that'll be a little softer when it's time to actually start smoothing and getting to that that final surface like so yeah that's what i was that's what i was planning to use for that all right, I appreciate awesome. that, right? Hey. We on, we're on the same page i'm telling you man <laughs> telling you we, we we got it going on okay so let's go um j pink I, I think he sent a, a, an article over from i think it was like golf to magazine or something it's a sort, sort of a summary of a research article that was written can you go ahead and pull that up and let's talk about this Okay, so this is a study that was done uh, in several different locations. So this was done in, uh, let's see here, University of Kentucky in Lexington. Uh, Where else? Chrissy Seeger, so they were at uh, Texas A&M. I know they were at um, Mississippi State, Arkansas. Uh, So this was replicated in a variety of different environments, right? And the idea here was that uh, they were going to use uh, Latitude 36 as their, the grass that they were using to establish. And what they wanted to understand was sprig rate as one variable and then uh, nitrogen rate per week, right, uh, as another variable. And the reason that this came about was that uh, there's sort of been Ray's favorite thing in turf, dogma, you know, that you needed to go out at like 1,000 bushels per acre and you needed to slam this shit with like a pound, pound and a half of N every week to have any chance of getting this stuff grown in. So these turf grass scientists at this, you know, at all these universities got together and said, well, hey, like, you know, that's got, that can't be the same everywhere if it's even true. Let's take a look at this and see. So what they did was that they, you know, uh, again, a typical sprig rate um, back in the day was a thousand bushels per acre, maybe a little less. And uh, what they sought to do was to go 200, 400, 600, 800. I don't know if they did a thousand or not. I can't remember. And then I if you go back, I they did on yeah. weekly. Yeah, so 800 was the top end. Then the um, nitrogen rates, they went with zero pounds per week. Uh, then they went with a quarter pound, half pound, and a full pound per week. Okay, so as we look at the data, you might need to, yeah. So here's nitrogen rate. Okay, and what they're looking at here is each of the different rates, you know, as you'll see in the first column, and what we're looking at across the data table here is weeks one, two, three, four, five, six after it was sprigged, and the resultant percentage there on there below. Now, look, I want you to look across this and look how closely clustered the data is each week, right? So, again, top row, zero pounds, and then we look down at 44 pounds in week one, we've got 30% coverage pretty much across the board. You know, there's not a lot of deviation there. Um, and then as we came and continue to go across, you know, let's jump over to week four, you know, a little bit of a spread there between the one pound rate, you know, the 44 pounds per acre 
or one pound per thousand of nitrogen per week, you know, in week four, but we're still darn near 87% on our zero pound uh, plots here. Now slide all the way over to week six and we're 100% on all of our plots that are receiving nitrogen, 97% on our plot that's receiving no nitrogen. So by week eight, what they write in this paper is that by week eight, didn't matter how much nitrogen this, these plots got, they were established at 100% coverage, right? All right, so let's move on and look at um, sprig rate. There's another table down here talking about sprig rate, and we'll jump into that here real quick. Perfect. All right, so same kind of data set up here with the table, 200, 400, 600, uh, 800 bushels per acre. You'll notice, though, that look at that week one, the spread in data, right? So there's more plant material, comparatively more, almost four times more, but it doesn't pick that up necessarily on the percent turf grass cover, but comparatively more um, grass cover with the 800 bushel per acre rate as compared to 200. We continue to slide across. Now let's go over here. Same thing again. Week four, there is a pretty marked difference here, right? Between, uh, you know, 83% on our 200 bushel an acre plots uh, all the way up to 96%, 94 or 95% on our 800 bushel plots. But gentlemen, slide over two weeks later, week six, it's all at 100, right? So whether we sprigged at 200 or we sprigged at 800, it did not matter. Now, you know, these plots had, uh, you know, very good irrigation. Uh, you know, everything was, was just right. And these were uh, means across all sites, right? So again, some different um, sites where they were in, you know, Starkville, Mississippi, um, you know, Lexington, Kentucky, College Station, Texas, right? So some varying things, right, climate-wise, but yet this is still where the aggregate data uh, takes us. So I think the point here for you, Cam, is that, yeah, like you still need to plan for some attrition and losses within your sprigs just because, again, uh, you know, people will say, well, I'm just going to do it and it doesn't matter. Well, you know, it does matter in the sense that, like, you know, if you are having a certain amount of attrition, right, is that putting you in the best chance to have success? And if you're going through all this, stuff right so you know one of the things i don't know i think we did say this or mention this in a certain regard last week when we were talking to dr shaddix was that uh you know he he was you know kind of adamant at saying that hey you know soil tests you know we only need those if we if we don't see turf performing and i would argue too and i think he was he did bled onto this that if you come into a new situation brand new you have no idea what's yeah. going on yeah sure yeah. go for it if you want i would argue too, that if you're going if you're going into a, a, a project or a renovation, right, and you're not amending or changing soils drastically, right, if you're going to work with pretty much what you have there, it's a good idea just in the sense that, you know, uh, a 20 to $40 investment to make sure that your project that could cost you hundreds, if not thousands of dollars goes right. Like, mm -hmm. that's a good piece of insurance <laughs> yeah. just to make sure you don't miss something, right? <laughs> so exactly. uh, in, that, in that regard, though, nothing, that has nothing to do with nitrogen. Uh, but it does have to do with, you know, understanding what the, um, you know, what the limitations are, right? So it might be that, hey, somebody would look at this this table and be like, well, why would anybody ever go over 200 bushels of the acre? Well, again, this is under ideal conditions, right, in terms of the way that these were propagated and yeah. established and everything like that. So if we extrapolate and say, okay, well, you know, I'm not going to put this down in the best possible way because I don't have the, you know, the right equipment or everything like that. So I might expect to lose, you know. I don't know, 15%, 20%, something like that. And I don't want to, you know, I want to hedge my bet. And let's be honest, like the, the cost to go from 200 to 600 bushels 
is not that great in terms of material. It's more so in the time it takes to, to get that stuff down there. And I will tell you for a fact, 100% fact, because we, we messed around with this up here in a very unsuitable growing environment, about as unhospitable as it gets for Bermuda, but we still grow it because, you know, I'm an asshole. Um, is that um, it is there is a point of diminishing returns. There is a point where you reach just like seed, right? You know, we don't, you know, yeah, if some yeah. is good, more is not gooder, right? Like we don't yeah. go out there with ryegrass seed and be like, well, man, if it says seven or eight pounds, if I put down 25, that'll be good. For, that'll be fine. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, not really. Same thing with sprigs. So I think that's the other thing too, here is to say that you can't, you can overdo it. Um, and these guys prove 200 bushels to acre on sprigs is nothing, but you know, you'll see sod farms do that all day, you know, in establishing, um, you know, warm season sod, particularly on Bermuda grass. So interesting stuff. I guess, what did you take away from this, Cam? I mean, was there, what, what caught your eye when you first saw this and what was your thought as far as how this might be applicable to you and your situation? Yeah. So, so reading through this article, that was the one, that's the one article that I definitely read a lot into and kind of formulating a plan around because those are the two critical factors of how much sprig, how many, how much do I need to spend on sprigs? Yeah. Um, and then also um, how much fertilizer do I need to be able to, to get down um, and how accurate as far as how often do I need to be uh, putting that fertilizer down for the grow in? Uh, so looking at that, what I gathered from it is if we want a quicker grow in and, and coverage um, depending on what the cost is uh, the most that I'm going to go is the 600 pounds uh, per bushel or uh, 600 pounds 600 bushel bushel per, acre. per yep. acre. Um, that's, that's the most. Um, probably if the cost isn't that much, then we'll go that rate. But, uh, if it's, if it's more expensive, I'll back it down to the, to the 400, uh, 400 bushels per acre. And we'll go there because at the end of the day, we're going to end up at the same point. Um, and then from a fertilization standpoint, uh, it does have sandy soil. Uh, so mm-hmm. one of the things that you mentioned earlier was about going down with a slow release. Uh, so I yeah. was already kind of looking at some of the polyon type technology, uh, some of those just trying to uh, figure out, all right, I'm, we're not going to be able to get on it that much. Every week, we're not going to be able to get on it. Um, so it's going to have to be something that's going to release at a rate that maybe we can get on there every two weeks, maybe every three weeks, Cam? something like that for, for our fertilization. Oh man. Actually, I cannot wait to hear what Ray is going to say. I really, here's what I'm, I'm going to tell anxious. you about doing, doing polyon is that here's how I would figure it is say you have a polyon product that is 50% coated or slow release nitrogen. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's like a common thing in the, you know, 40 to 50%. So imagine doing this, Cam, at time oh, of sprigging, no, imagine throwing down the equivalent of a pound and a half of in as that finished product at time of sprigging. Okay. And then what that should do is that should 
carry you through the first four to six weeks. It should carry you. Because here's the reality about slow-release stuff in the south, in the transition zone in the tropics. In Go real ahead. life. I'm, I know where you're going with it. <laughs> this stuff lasts at best six weeks, no matter six what weeks. you do. Okay? So, and that six weeks, because here's what I probably foresee, is that by week three or four, you can probably back down on your irrigation a bit. Mm-hmm. And when you can back down on your irrigation, you can then get on it a little bit more. A little bit more. Yeah. But then I know that the first two weeks, probably not. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's just, yeah. that's just and, how and, it is. And, that, and that's what I was thinking. I was like, you for about the first three weeks, month, I'm thinking. Month, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Basically call it the first month. You're not going to be able to get on it with the amount of water that you're going to have to put down on it. Is mm-hmm. it, 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 it's, it's not a, to me, I don't think it's smart to be trying to get on it at, at that point for making applications, which is why I was looking at some of the slower release type of products um, to be able but, to sustain through that period of time. And then by that now. week, and I was thinking by from by week four, it'd be about time mm-hmm. for me to hopefully first cut, maybe, um, or either just to be able to get back onto it to be able to put down another round of fert. Another round of fert, or I'll start treating for weeds. But then, yep. to me, I know my my critical time after I sprig is literally the first three to four weeks. Mm-hmm. That's just, that's just, you know, my, my most established. important time. Just getting it established. Get it established, get it, get it up. And to be honest with you, in actual practice for me personally, I don't care about getting any nitrogen down on that, on those sprigs until I've seen it even take root. Because I first watch for the roots, and then when I see the roots come out and the grass start to send stolons, that's when I start to dial back the water. And when I've dialed back the water, that's when it's worth applying some nitrogen, applying some you know NPK and whatever. Because at that point, the there's grass roots available to take up that nitrogen and whatever. Right. Until you have so the roots, what? you don't you don't even have anything. Right, right. So what what would your recommendation be um at the time of sprigging from an uh, in in input? An in input, I mean if it were me doing it, nothing. Okay. None. And None you, because I'm more cons- you'd get back on it. You'd get back on it to make that first application around the two week, probably two week mark. Three, 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 three. three. Two to three weeks, okay. yeah, because it's all about watching. Because, like, the moment I see roots, that is when I'm no longer maintaining that lawn like a rice paddy. Yeah. Okay. And that's when okay. I'm kind of like, you know, hey, let's uh, dial back this watering so that it's maybe only watering one time or two times a day. And then once I'm only watering one, once or twice a day, that's when whatever nitrogen I apply is not going to get flushed away. Yeah. Because when you're watering six times a day, 
or five yeah. times a day, which is what you're going to have to do with when you have sprigs on the ground, you ain't going to get fertilizer to even hold. Okay, yeah. you're not. Yeah. So that but, was another one of my that was another one of my concerns. Yeah, was right there. But then imagine if you're watering once or twice a day and you have that slow release nitrogen lawn fertilizer on there, right? And that then kind of helps you free up some time because then you're not over there spoon feeding it every seven days. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't have slow release, uh, you're going to be applying anywhere from one-tenth to two-tenths of a pound of N every single week. Yeah. You know, I mean, and, and, ain't nobody and, got time for that. <laughs> yeah, ain't nobody got time for that. Um, so <laughs> I, I appreciate that. That's uh, that that answered a, a, a big part of my question. So um, the <laughs> remainder of the grow in. Um, so mm. what if, what if we get once we get past, uh, say, all right, we go down at week three with mm-hmm. maybe what a pound, a slow release. In? Out of in as slow release, yep. Because okay. you have the grassroots and it, it's yeah. starting to like roll and so throw down that That'll... pound of in as slow release and that's gonna carry you through that four four, four to six, six week weeks. period after and you should really see it just take off without you having to babysit it and uh, prod it very much. Okay. All right. Okay. That, yeah, that, that's that just... definitely that definitely <laughs> simplified uh, what I was thinking from a fertilization and grow in standpoint. All right, yeah, cool. Because, I'm, I'm, because, good, I'm good. Yeah. I'm good with that. Yeah, because I I know you've heard about the nutty programs for grow in, and by the way, Cam, I've seen some of some of the nutty programs here in Hawaii too, where. Uh, what do we mean by we're uh, putting down another two pounds of urea and your last application was about a week or two ago? <laughs> Just saying. Yeah, yeah. It was, I mean, it was, I, I mean and, I, and I saw those programs and those articles and I'm like, geez, man, you, you got four pounds of in on the ground in... In one in, month? In the, in, in, the, in the month. Like, are you, are we serious? So well, my yeah, question that, that my is- question becomes, Cam, and for me, I'm always thinking in terms of why am I applying this if I don't even have the grassroots to take it up? It, exactly. That's always that, that's it, my that's my exactly. fair question. Why am I why am I putting it down? Why am I doing this <laughs> if I don't have the grassroots? Unless, of course, I want to be real cute and. I'm going foliar or hydroponic. Yeah. But then, if I go yeah. foliar or hydroponic, that means that I got to shut the irrigation off, right? Then you, can't, then you can't water. Then I can't water. <laughs> and that was my other thing. It was like, all right, well, now I'm gonna have to. I was like, once I get it, once this first gets put down, I got to be able to spray. So now we got to make sure that we dry it down enough that we can get on it and spray it. And then be able to get off because I'm going to need the foliar uptake to be able to get everything going. And I'm, now so, I was looking at, I was looking at the different fertilizers. Like, all right, what am I going? What am I going? So I appreciate that. Like I said, 
y'all definitely yeah. simplified uh, what yeah. I was thinking about doing from a fertilization standpoint. So because, I appreciate that. You know, you know, Cam, even for me, the last time I grew in sprigs, I didn't use a slow release, but I followed a similar thing where I waited until I saw the actual grass roots and I was able mm-hmm. to reduce the irrigation, you know, to like once or twice a day. And mm-hmm. then I hit it with my soluble nitrogen liquid, you know, quarter pound per thousand square foot per application. Okay. And because I wasn't watering too much, that quarter pound of N stayed in the soil because it was AMS, right? So it was still there. So it's like just hit it quarter pound, quarter pound, quarter pound. You know, I, I think I did a total of uh, two or three applications like that. And hey, guy had grass after I was done. So any, had a lot any, cons- any concerns with being able to use like AMS at some point, given where the uh, pH was at previously, knowing that we That's put why down- you lime. That's why you lime. Yeah, we, okay, we put that down to to take care of that concern. So, would you be mm-hmm. good with going down with a with, with some AMS at the, at some point during this with no concern? Yes. Yeah. Okay. No problem. Right. And, and in fact, uh, it's too bad we don't have the soil test in front of us because I know last week on our last burning return and not our last Thursday Thursday. It is low in sulfur. <sighs> okay, that's why. That that is exactly why. And I already the know why I, no, the reason why I bring that up is because I'm becoming aware of that entire southeastern region. For whatever reason, the soil doesn't have very much sulfur in it. And you know. That low sulfur soil is a mixed blessing because, for example, it's good for growing tobacco, number one. Number two is that's also good for growing Vidalia onions because the onions that are grown in a high sulfur soil are going to get spicy. But Mm. if you grow those onions in a extremely sulfur deficient soil they stay mild they stay mellow that's why okay. that Vidalia, georgia you know town and the surrounding areas that's why they can grow those onions is because that town is super sulfur deficient because if somebody yeah, I, don't, I don't know about the onions but they grow a whole lot of tobacco in this area <laughs> yeah <laughs> I yeah, can a, I can tell you that much. Yeah. Okay. So so that's just uh, why you know if you do if you are producing that crop, then that's almost suggesting to me what your soil is like actually. Yeah. And for all you know, insufficient sulfur might be why the centipede grass declined. I don't know. Right. Because I'd be I'd be one of those crazy people that I would literally hit centipede grass with AMS as its nitrogen. Mm. Yeah. So uh <laughs> going kill off, 
I think Ray, uh, I think you and I talked about this previously. Uh, recommendations uh, for a combo for for the kill off. Um, I was planning, mm. as you can see, weeds are starting to, to grow, but the centipede itself mm. is still it still hasn't woken up yet. Um, mm-hmm. So from a timing standpoint, I was probably giving it to mid end of March. Um, mm-hmm. And it's probably going to be awake or starting to wake up at least by that point in time. And I uh, wanted to know far as a recommendation for a combo uh, for the con- the kill off process. Okay. Uh, what is present? as undesirable in that area uh it's got um it's got some button weed that's in there it's got a little bit of a little bit of clover uh crabgrass is in there of course um Mm -hmm. not a lot of grassy weeds to be honest with you uh not a lot of grassy weeds in there other than other than the crabgrass, um, not a lot of grassy weeds in there. Uh, any any poa or wild type or common Bermuda present that you know? There of? is some. There is some common. There is some common. In there. <sighs> okay. There, there okay. is. There's a couple patches. There's a couple patches of, of commonness in there. Okay, because. Here's where this is going is now that we know you got buttonweed, you got clover, and you got, you know, of course, a little bit of, you know, grassy stuff, and you got the Bermuda. Now mm-hmm. you're looking at a fusillade triclopyr glyphosate kill. Okay. That's where that goes. You, said two, the, you, you said two of the ones that I was already thinking. The glyphosate and uh, triclopyr. Yeah, but then because you have a off type of Bermuda present, I kind of suggest the fusillade to make sure that the that the because the you know the various research that has been done on kill offs when converting from Bermuda to something else indicates that. Having the fusillade in there makes a difference versus just trying to do it with glyphosate alone. Yeah, yeah, it is. Okay. And 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 you notice how I phrased that question: "What combo?" Because I I, I wasn't mm-hmm. going just <laughs> I wasn't yeah. going straight holy water. It was it was going to be something else that I was gonna I was gonna go down with. Uh, oh yeah, that, because you see thing. when. I see people in the tropics or the transition zone trying to do a kill out with just, you know, the holy water. I I have a lot of questions when that's being done because, you know, in all my years of chilling out before resodding or or sprigging or plugging, I have yet to see an instance where the one sprinkling of holy water absolves people of all their sins. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let me see. Let me see. Brian, you got anything? 
what, what you got any no inputs? no i mean i think i think it's all good i mean i think that uh i i agree 100 percent with what ray is saying in terms of the kill off because uh you have such you know a short window you do want to get all that out of there and there's nothing really to worry about on the backside of any of that really you know from mm-hmm. uh, yeah. uh, uh re-sprigging standpoint right so yeah uh, i i feel confident that you know you're going to get rid of a lot of those issues and here's the fun part that uh that you know gets to happen now is a lot of that stuff ray becomes mm-hmm. pretty easy to clean up right uh a far far more uh, convenient and easy than it would have been um had you had the cool yeah, season, cool season. There. yeah so yeah yeah because yeah. because uh you know that uh monster post-emergent mix that we described to you earlier in the show mm-hmm. that hits buttonweed, that hits clover, that hits crabgrass and goosegrass uh, rather hard. It hits it. It's not pretty, but it hits it. I mean, because I will have to advise you that should you run that on your Bermuda during growing, there's going to be a certain amount of singeing and yellowing. It's going to happen. Yeah. That's just how it is. Okay. But I will take that any day over the messes that I've had to walk into where I've got knee-high or even waist-high weeds. Right. Because somebody followed more dogma and said, you cannot spray after sprigging. I mean, I've heard that one, too, where people say you cannot spray. And I'm like, ah, uh, okay. <laughs> All right, so uh, another thing. So the curveball that I got dealt the other day. Yes. So, I, <laughs> so I, called, um, I called about the sprigs um, and uh, the local. Well, it's not really local. It's like two hours away. Uh, where mm-hmm. I can go get the spray, the uh, iron cutter from, uh, they make. I think this is their first year selling the iron cutter. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't think where well, they said they may not have sprigs available for this season. Uh, they may not have mm. it until next season. They haven't fully decided just yet, um, but that is a possibility that they may not have sprigs. So. We need to go down the path of, I can't side all of that. Um, okay. So, so how are we creating uh, the sprigs that we need? That's uh, what. Which, which <laughs> rel- like, what's the closest uh, large city here? For to, uh, to Gr- real man- Pop's house? Uh, Greenville. Greenville. Okay. Or larger. Yeah. Yeah. Greenville, right. and Greenville. then uh, mm. if we need to go a little bigger, we can go Raleigh's like forty, like an hour, forty-five minutes, an hour. Raleigh, Raleigh, North Carolina is n- not far. Right. Okay. Whoo! <laughs> and okay. I could tell you, hmm. <laughs> how how? <laughs> oh. All right. <laughs> All right, we gotta recalculate. That was, it's that, like the, G, it's like the GPS, a, like recalculating, recalculating. Yeah, that was that was the curveball that I got the other day when I called him up, and I was like, 
you know, you can't be serious. They was like, we haven't fully decided just yet, but it is a possibility that we might not have Spriggs available uh, for this season. Hang on. And, okay, because the, if somebody doesn't have Spriggs, but they do have, like, sheets of sod for sale, yeah, they're they're gonna yeah they're they're for sure gonna sell the side. Um, okay, because but they may, all but, t- but they may not have the spray. All right, I got you so covered, I'm, dude. I got you covered. <laughs> all right, I just had to. So I'm here. That's why I'm here. Quick math, quick math. <laughs> what if I told you? And I'll go on record as saying this. I have no problem doing this. I'm usually not a big testimonial guy, but I will say that the the finest grower of iron cutter in the United States exist just four hours and 25 minutes from greenville north carolina okay and you can make and it on your way that? too it's in maryland it's in eden maryland over by just about south of salisbury oh yeah yeah yeah. I, yeah I know that i know where that area is so you just go right down through virginia beach and boom you're there four hours 25 minutes so i know it's not as short as you hoped it would be but I know you would get like the best stuff that exists out there. So I'll hook you up. Those are my people out there. Collins Wharf Sod, Eddie and the okay. gang. Great people. Jason too. Good, good, two good dudes. I'll get you the hookup. Okay. All right. Cool. That works. You see that? You see that <laughs> curveball? It's out there in the bleachers right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ryan hit it. So there. Just, just got it. <laughs> Just got to step into it, swing early. Just got, yeah, that's right. That's right. Keep your head down. Keep, pull your hands through. Boom. Yeah, Ryan, Ryan hit it. So <laughs> it's uh, not, a, not an issue because uh, worst case scenario is uh, you're going to be running sheets of sod through a chipper shredder. That's the worst case. <laughs> God, 20,000 square feet. Oh, my God. So and, yeah, a little and bit of work. Was, that was so that was going to be my next question. What if we did have to go down that option? Well, so <laughs> uh, you know, I think it's um, it, so here here's the conversion, right? Is that one bushel, right? So then we go into you know thousand per thousand square feet. So your six hundred mm-hmm. bushel acre bushel per acre rate ends up being close to like fifteen bushels per thousand. Yeah. So here's your number. Your numbers, guys. So uh, it is every five square feet of sod equals one bushel, right? So you need seventy-five square feet of sod per <laughs> thousand square feet to sprig at fifteen bushels per per thousand. Mm. One la- train leaves from Chicago going fifty-five miles an hour. Another train leaves from New York going sixty-two miles. An hour. <laughs> Everybody got crash into Cam's lawn at the same time. No, I hated those questions too. But no, uh, so the uh, the idea there though is that yeah, you you could do that, and that's the conversion, right? The conversion is the the five square feet equals one bushel, and then you just multiply up on your per thousand or yeah. your per acre rate to figure out the total bushels you need. So in this case, if we've got twenty thousand square feet, what is that? Fifteen hundred square feet of sod, so like five pallets, or yeah, uh, no, uh, three pallets of sod. Five hundred, assuming they're five hundred square foot pallets. So three pallets of sod. Like oh boy, but then. That's not going to be a fun That's not, yeah. You might want to get a big tree chipper. (laughs) You might might want to hit up 
one of your tree service friends. Yes. I was going to say, yeah. that's where you pay him and be like, listen, 200 bucks, case of beer and pizza all day on me. Like, let's just come and check yeah, come on. in there well, yeah. and waste just, your blades. So you have to take the whole thing apart. <laughs> <laughs> that's the worst part. Oh, yeah. yeah. You, that's, you, may, you do that with a rental. Well, that's we'll have to add that to the project cost. We'll look at like you know Sunbelt and see what a what a nice chipper is. I'll do that for you real quick because I'm I'm interested in myself. But anyway, so I think you got options there. Um, okay, I'll uh, I'll hit you up. I-, I will send you directly the number uh, of the gentleman to call. But I'll I'll throw I'll have Jay Pinker this up in the chat here and check okay. out the boys over there at Collinsworth. Like I said, I don't like you know like testimonials and stuff like that you know everybody's got their merits but these guys are good very good at what they do and do you uh, do you know how they package do you know how they package their uh their sprays do they come i've seen them come in like boxes i've seen them come in like little net little net bags (laughs) they did a big they they did a pretty pretty big job last year where they were they i know that they harvested a bunch of them and they put them in super sacks like in the big you know white bags that go on a pallet yeah, the big so, ton. Yeah, the um, big ton bag. Yeah, and it's not a one. It's not one ton because that stuff is so loose. But yeah, you could fit like one ton of like aggregate or something like that in there. But sand. Yeah, it yep. ends up being <laughs> like, uh, man, I want to say you can get like a hundred bushels in there, something like that. Um, maybe a little bit in more. In a super set. Yeah, I can't yep. remember off the top of my head, but I want to say it's something like that. <laughs> See, and and that's what that's what becomes my other concern is because if if i do have to pick them up from here is how i'm going to transport them because the (laughs) best way is i'm gonna grab them on my way down from here because i'm like you said it's right around the corner for me here uh Mm -hmm. so i probably grab them and then probably rent like an enclosed u-haul trailer (laughs) is 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 what is what i'm thinking and i'm gonna just yep roll through and i'm gonna fill that joker up as much as much as I can get in there, and then yeah. at least it keep it keep all the wind off of it, and then yep, exactly, try to hold exactly. as mu- hold as much moisture and stuff in there um, as I can. I think it's a hell of an and idea. Perfect. Spray, spray down the inside of it. Had the water hose tell the fellas, "Hey, just go ahead you and get mom's thing out of you all, man. It's, it's like an extra, <laughs> you know, eighty bushels right there. Boom." <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> so no, I think that's that's it's a good curveball, but it, it's it's doable, it's doable, and so okay. Um, you know, I think the the other thing too would just be, um, you know, planning ahead for, you know, as uh as things wind down there, so you know, getting ready for dormancy and things like that. Ray, would you? Uh, is there anything you should be concerned about there? in north carolina relative to you know uh end of season knowing that it's going to go fully dormant it's not quite like why i mean you you probably wish that your stuff would go dormant but it doesn't so uh any tips that you want to provide so that cam can get uh himself and um his dad ready for what that might look like okay what your winter or fall wind down looks like is opposite of how you treat your fescue in that 45 to 60 days after, you know, before, excuse me, before dormancy is expected, you're going to cut off your nitrogen and your fertilization. The other thing that you need to find out 
is is that neighborhood prone to large patch and spring dead spot because okay. if that neighborhood is one of those disease zones you are going to be doing fungicides on the lawn before the grass goes dormant and i have to repeat that before the grass goes dormant because these are all systemic fungicides and our grass needs to uptake the product into the turf grass uh Please don't be like these people on YouTube throwing headway G on already dormant Bermuda. That's crazy, right. and that doesn't do anything. The time to have made that treatment was while the grass was still growing. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be my consideration on, uh, on Bermuda going into dormancy in the upper part of the transition zone is you know watch for those issues or okay. know about them you know yeah i'm a uh i know i think i know one other guy that does some some lawn care stuff around in that area and then i probably call paul in this kind of who paul plays outlaw, yeah. yeah 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 paul, and, paul and, the and outlaw. <laughs> Yeah, kind of see what he's talking about because I actually just went through his place and actually got some fur last season for my pops lawn. So I'm a, uh, I haven't, I haven't oh, wow. been around, <laughs> I haven't been around that way enough during the uh, the spring to see how how that is. But I I don't think a lot of people deal with a lot of a lot of that spring dead spot and I haven't noticed it. And a couple of the lawns down the street, I know that are new builds. They've got some, mm -hmm. uh, they've got Bermuda put in like from, from mm -hmm. the builder. Uh, so oh, okay. it'll, it'll be interesting. I might swing next time I'm down there, just peep around and, and see what they see. What Take they a look. See. Like. Yeah. Yeah. They should be starting to get ready to wake up here in the, in the next couple of weeks or, or about a month or so. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you what, I think you got a plan, man. <laughs> yeah, this is sounding Crazy just so exciting. I mean, it is exciting. Real and quick. I got to tell you <laughs> Go ahead. that Bermuda is just. To me, it's just such a wonderful grass. <laughs> okay, oh, Jesus, raise tight again. <laughs> my, my first, you know, my my first love is Bermuda. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. Oh, I, I mean, I, I mean, I, I have a respect for it. I do. I mean, I know I talk trash about it. I know I say, <laughs> I know I call it a weed well, and everything. I, I I get it because when you have that hayfield stuff popping up out of a turf type tall fescue lawn that doesn't oh, look yeah. like that's not a good look yeah, yeah. i understand yeah. i get it i mean yeah. but when you have a selected variety as a mm -hmm. monostand that's now being a maintained lawn okay yeah. that is to me that's just uh i tell people now it's no longer a weed now that's the stuff on sports field and, and golf courses okay yeah. it's no longer a weed this is <laughs> Nice stuff. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I 
I, I respect it. Um, I can I I can definitely come to to enjoy some uh, the the nice cut, especially if you're going to be able to real mow it on on like some uh, oh. some some Bermuda. Man, I'm. I need I need a pallet here at the house is what I need. Uh, I, because I, I, I got a little I got a little test plot that I can that that I could definitely uh I Cam, definitely I can tell doing you that on. One more thing that I one more curveball that I want to throw at you is that if you're looking for the next level of mowing on Pop's lawn that doesn't require you to drop money for a fairway or a trim triplex hmm. is sometimes a ground driven toe behind reel will uh-huh. work on Bermuda. Uh-huh. Oh, it works. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. I mean, if okay. Pops, a... if Pops wants to, wants that, you know, fairway or sports field look, I mean, and if he's willing to keep up with the mowing so that it's not, Six inches tall when he gets to it. Oh, One of yeah. those that, toe behind problem at all. <laughs> ground driven reel mowers is an option because they're literally usable in that height range between three quarters of an inch and an inch and a half. Okay, okay. they're l- literally usable at that height range. So it's an option. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah. That... <laughs> yeah. yeah. And half acre, ooh, I mean, that's a fun, nice size. And just so that you know, imagine towing like three to six 20-something-inch reels behind his existing mower. Throw it up there, J-Pink. Let's see this one. There you go. Just a little, this is a little three-ganger. You can get a five, you can get a seven, you can get a nine, you can get some big boys. But look at this thing. It's perfect. And and. And Toro makes one too. Toro yep. makes yes. uh, the the Groundsmaster, uh, you know, gang reels. And mm-hmm. okay, I have fond memories of these mowers because back in the old days, Ryan and Cam, these are the kind of mowers that used to be used on a lot of the Hawaii parks. And school grounds. And then some genius back in the late 1980s or mid-1980s decided, why don't we use a rotary mower instead? Because it's easier to do the maintenance on the rotary. (laughs) And that is when all of the brush species took over because the real mowers were maintaining the Bermuda grass that was planted on the fields and uh, parks at about an inch tall. Yeah, a lot lower, high and, to cut. Yeah, and once once they switch to the equivalent of a bush hog and mow it at about four or five inches tall all the time, all the bad stuff took over. Mm. <laughs> There's that, that, that's the other thing that I'm going to tell you about keeping Bermuda in that situation is mowing it low 
is like one of your defenses against having it being taken over by weeds. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Low mowing is like one piece of it. I mean, the other pieces of it is yes, you can use things like prodiamine and other. And oh, Ryan has to warn you about using quinclorac on hybrid Bermuda. <laughs> Careful. Yeah. Or or be, be ready careful. To, be ready to go out there and be like, oh, that doesn't look good. Well, I'm not gonna look yeah, good it, for another ten days. Yeah, it, it's know. gonna look scary for about two weeks and okay. it might look very frightening, but then again, that's why I see your best defense against weeds is actually going to be to mow it low. Mower. Okay. Just okay. mow it low. I mean, that, that's just uh, because I'm trying to think now. And I, I think your pops might get into that, being that he's kind of a lawn fanatic. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not going to take him long. It, it's, it's not. <laughs> Once it, the the problem's going to be is you, you know what I'm setting myself up for. I'm setting myself up to have to do this again next year is what I, is, is I was going to say, doing. dude, this, uh, that's why I said it was a 20,000 square foot <laughs> test plot. Let's be real, man. Like, well, I know where this is going. Or, or, yeah, or, 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 is, or is Pops the guinea pig, and then yeah. once yeah. you have it all dialed in and, and sorted out, you're, you're taking this on the road. It's prime time, right, Cam? So all of your... Exactly. Because let me guess. You deal with some, what I'm going to describe, not so affectionately, hospice cases, mm -hmm. as far as lawns mm -hmm. go, right? Yep. And yep. you're thinking you can keep on reseeding, fertilizing, and treating this, yep. but then it's all yep. going to end up the same, right? Exactly. exactly. And so it's time That's to exactly say, <laughs> enough already, and, and let's just do this one time <laughs> and and they want something that's and 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 it's like from a maintenance standpoint they're looking for something that's going to be a little lower maintenance um that, that they're non-irrigated i mean even in this area they're fine with it going dormant they're fine with the dormancy part of it but it's it's just the fact that right now is i call it one of those hybrid mud lawns i mean you got bermuda you got the bermuda growing in and then you've also got the uh cool season in there and it's just too much of the bermuda to be able to maintain it or to keep it under control and let the uh the cool season thrive so i and, and you know what Ken? it's, it's a there, lot of a cases where where this would just there's a third way to, there's a third way for that there's a third way for that cam and you know what that way is? Is Bermuda? No, no, no. If Bermuda <laughs> says that it wants to be the grass in that lawn, and you've just got like sprigs of fescue popping up here and there, making a anemic oh, effort. Yeah. yeah. Then at that point, what I say is, you know, put that poor fescue out of its misery and then take care of it as a Bermuda lawn from here on out. Yep. I mean, that's just... Um, I'm on the verge <laughs> of doing that one. I'm, I'm on the verge <laughs> of doing that with one. Like, it's it's really probably 50-50 at this point. Um, and, and, as soon, and, and as soon as I've started fertilizing it, the 
freaking Bermuda. And by the end of the season, it was probably 60-40, if not more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because the, the reality is, is that in order to have the Bermuda not be the thing there, you almost have to no, starve, the, starve the Bermuda and mow the fescue high. But then, even then, that doesn't look that good. It, it looks. I know. I understand. It looks bad. So it didn't work. It it didn't. It that didn't work. <laughs> and so, <laughs> that, that and so at that point, in... it's there. Yeah. So then that that's what yeah. that's what uh, you're faced with. And then at that point, it's like I'd say, okay, Plan B is you use the same products that you use during the. Iron cutter establishment, like the Celsius and the revolver and the monument, and you can literally wipe out or blank out the fescue and the ryegrass and let the Bermuda thrive. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I mean, that's I'm, just. I'm, I'm in that. I'm, I'm almost there. I'm, I'm almost you're, there. You're almost in, in that in space. That yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. Because let me ask you this. When. Do people use their lawns? Because I'm still imagining, to Wait me in my eyes, uh, that lawn had better not look bad for Fourth of July. Yeah. I know that. Okay, yeah. I know that. And so, if you have one of those things where the, you know, you have that patchy-looking Bermuda because it's not being mowed low enough because you got to keep the fescue. I mean, no, that just doesn't. That's not a good look. I mean, I, I get it because the whole deal is, is that the way to rehab that is, I guess, you sell people on, okay, we're going to convert this to Bermuda, and then you're going to mow this a little bit lower. Yeah. Right? Yeah, get them on the right <laughs> page, though, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, around, and around here, 4th of July is, is when cool season lawns start to take their turn. Like and not look even and even, not, even, not look even, even yeah even mine like mine that's when my my struggle starts from Fourth of oh. July on I'm just trying to keep it alive like I am I'm doing everything I can to keep it alive right. until overseeding from from yeah, Fourth of July on yeah because Ryan has this uh, saying that he likes to put on people is. Anybody can oh, grow yeah. cool season grass up until Mother's Day. After that, uh, it's mm-hmm. pro time. <laughs> you got to be better good. Call a, better call a professional. <laughs> yeah. So, but then on the other hand, with Bermuda, from I guess uh, Mother's Day till September, that is just cruise time almost for bermuda you just got to keep up with the mowing right you just got to keep up with cutting it and that is not the worst thing because it's not a bad gig yeah so it's uh because yeah i know for me i say in my area any old monkey can grow zoysia between tax day and thanksgiving but the story changes from Thanksgiving until Easter because that's when the real drama can can start. Yeah. Drama. So there's times of the year. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean we're we're in a we're in a good place. I mean, I I, I typically I've, I've got a program. My my program's pretty. Mm-hmm. I, I figured things out around here, and and it's mm-hmm. it's been working pretty good the past couple of past couple of seasons. So it took me a little bit to figure it out and and make some adjustments uh, from fertilizations to fungicides and all of that stuff. So we're in a we're in a good place right now. But yeah, I, I'm. Oh. This this is a and, big test plot for me. Is is, is what it okay, really is. Okay. I wanted because I wanted to have do to some treat, other testing before. But then you you have to do fungicides on your fescue to keep it alive in the summer. Whereas for Bermuda, you mostly are on almost easy street on your Bermuda. And in fact, how's this one? During the summer, you can even fertilize it some and keep it green during the summer. How's that? Right. <laughs> you can give it a little and feed it. Right. <laughs> so that, that's right. just like, yeah, yeah. So then the, the thing is, is that what I tell people on Bermuda is that there's less expense for fungicides but you may have to invest in a more complicated and costly mower to maintain yeah. it well. That's yeah. that's the only like like trade off that I can think of on Bermuda. Otherwise, uh, I don't miss uh, saying the rosary every morning <laughs> and hoping that uh, Pisium and uh, own patch, for to, example. Yeah. Yeah. Don't don't show up, right? <laughs> yeah, you'll walk out the uh, yard full of mycelium. All, all, the, all those great all those grayish white threads just kind of like mm-hmm. weaving through the grass. Oh yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, you don't you don't have that as much. I mean, or else here's here's my favorite thing about diseases. I've I've been to yards or lawns now, Cam, where I don't need a diagnostic test because I can literally smell the stagnation and the decay. Oh. Because to me, certain diseases stink. I mean, they have a, have a, and even brown patch. Brown patch to Pythium, me smells Pythium bad. has a smell. And, and I stinks. know that from experience. And it's not an experience that I want to have ever again. <laughs> But but yeah, like it, I agree with you. Like it, there is a smell. It it, it has it a smell. It has a smell to it. Um, it and bad. at the time, okay. I mean, that was that was early on in in my long career, and <laughs> I didn't, I hadn't quite put my finger on exactly what it was. That was the point of a. Hey, I'm either I'm either gonna dig in or I'm gonna throw in the towel. And hey, you know, throwing in the towel ain't quite my style. So. <laughs> hey, 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 we 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 got we got on, we on the other side of that now. Yeah, we're on the other side, but then I'm just going to tell, you know, say that there's been lawns where I'm hit by that smell and I have to turn around and t- and tell the person, you know, this is not a good sign. Mm-hmm. Because you have the, you know, these dead areas forming in the grass and I can smell the rot and the decay. <laughs> this is not good. Yeah. 
<laughs> so uh, any other any other pointers? I think we walked through the whole process. We talked kill off. We talked uh, ground prep. Um, I don't know if there's anything else. Uh, turf polo. I seen y'all in the chat. Uh, anything that we <laughs> talked about that I haven't brought up yet. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so, so we've been, we've been talking about this in the, uh, in the background and how we work in chat and, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh, Chuck, Chuck saying water. Yeah. So, uh, water <laughs> wise. <laughs> yeah. And I like the way he spelled that too. I got that one. Um, <laughs> And uh, so, so for watering, um, actually I've got some heads on order. Um, I do like Hunter, uh, that I'm gonna mm-hmm. try out. Um, I'm looking at the, I want to try and see if I can go something bigger, um, and not have to have as many, uh, as many heads, um, and get a little more coverage on them and run them on a single. I'm gonna try to do, uh, eight, if I can get eight zones, eight zones to be able to cover it. Um, I'm gonna look for, um, I may just go ahead and get a 16 zone, uh, ratio controller just in case mm-hmm. if I need to add more zones instead of, I've got an eight right now. Um, and I've let maxed me just it out kinda, here at my place. Let me just kind of like, uh, give you the, the math for this or the, or the approximation, the rough estimate on this. Okay. Okay. If you have a large rotor, right, uh-huh. like a Hunter I-20 or a Hunter mm-hmm. PGP, mm-hmm. the maximum radius or distance you can get out of that head is equivalent to your PSI. Like, say you have... okay. 50 psi right then you're not going to get more than 50 feet of 50 radius feet. no matter which orifice you installed in that head okay. okay okay i mean that just just so that you have an an idea because i know you're looking at like the the i20s or the i40 hunter heads yep. Yep. and unless you got the water pressure yep. and the pressure. water volume yep. to to drive them mm-hmm. no yeah. In fact, if you don't have the pressure, I might even tell you to go a third way. And that is set up the MP rotator 360 degree 30 foot radius heads. If you don't have a lot of water pressure, okay. because those guys will easily hit a 30 foot radius or a 60 foot diameter. With low water pressure, they can do it. I mean, I'm just kind of thinking ahead because not everybody is blessed with good water pressure at yeah. their house. And, and and I think from taking a shower there recently with all the new that's, builds that they've got, on, awesome. they've got in, in, in the area, the water pressure mm-hmm. has dropped. The, the water pressure oh. has dropped. Um, gone down. Oh. So it, it's it's not what it used. It's not what it used to be. Um, so, which is why I was okay. like, I want to get down and and try a couple. I'm I'm ordering the i20s and 
I mean, of, of course, I'm going to just order one of them just to try it out and, and see how it goes. And, and see what I've happens. But then, Yeah. And I've got a use for it here at my house, too, if it, if it doesn't work. So I'm, I'm just saying, though, about. that what I know about I-20s and PGPs mm-hmm. is literally those heads need 40 PSI or higher at the head. However... If you send your water through a hose, a normal water hose, it's, gonna, time, it's not going to be. It's not going to be. It's not going to be fifty, forty, or fifty psi at the head anymore. Yeah, and and so I that, and just, I plan I plan to run it. I plan to run it through. Um, so it's going to be a, a temporary above ground that we're going to use just to grow it in. Um, and yeah, I plan controllers to controllers and hoses. Yeah, control yeah. controllers and but I'm gonna switch it to three quarter poly, at least three quarter, if not an inch, uh, poly, depending on what I get with the pressure. Um, so it's gonna at least be three quarter, three quarter inch poly. Um, going three quarter inch poly ID, and that's gonna cut on your, on your friction loss through the, you know, the 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 tubing or the hose a little bit. But I'm still saying that if you don't have the incoming water pressure, oh yeah, you know that's just something to think about. And you know, I would even yeah. tell you try out that MP rotator thirty feet by three hundred and sixty, the MP three thousand three sixty, because okay. you might find that in this use case that might outperform the you know, single stream, big turf rotors, because everything, every time I've ever used one of those big turf rotors, those heads just need pressure, pressure, pressure. They they do badly on residential water pressure. They can't, they they just don't perform. I mean, they literally need to be in one of Ryan DeMay's builds where they're sucking out of a, yeah, a six inch water main feeding them at 70 psi <laughs> that's what they want, want they don't want, want do that. we, we can we can, yeah, we can facilitate that just let you know I mean, yeah we want to go yeah but then i'm just saying that, yeah i'm just saying that you know if you're talking about a residential water system where it goes through a five eighths inch water meter and then it goes through half inch uh pipe to the spigot the i20s and the pgps don't like that Okay? okay, they hate that. Just, just saying. I mean, that that's not their jam. <laughs> I mean, yeah. their style is more one of, as I said, one of Ryan's builds. <laughs> yeah, hey, amen. I'm in, I'm in uh, receive <laughs> mode over here right now. I'm, I'm done on transmit. I'm, I'm here to listen tonight. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I'm, just, I'm just trying to like get out that you know any other possible bugs because to me. Above anything else, Cam, delivering water to a sprig job yeah. is probably the most critical and important thing I can think of. I mean, I don't care about the weeds even because the weeds I can I can spray later, but then I'm more worried about if those sprigs dry up and die. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm in trouble. And, 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 and I've already told my pops, I was like, look, <laughs> the the cost of everything else 
The one you it's need small. to prepare for it, it, the one you need yeah, to prepare for is your is your water bill. Like that, mm-hmm. that's the one that you need to prepare for. I was like, because there's no way that we can do this without water. Like there's okay. hands down, there's no way we can do this without water. Get, and without, without I'm getting not the water do this. Yeah, I'm not gonna do this and I'm not gonna put my name on it without us having water. So Okay. We've already signed up. It was like if we're gonna do this, we're gonna do it. We're gonna do it my all, way. All in. Yeah, and it's all it's gotta, all in because we, we gotta go all in. Like we've and I've asked him a couple of times. I was like, Pops, you sure you're ready for this now? Like, are you sure? Before I could we thing. were at uh we were at the um at the farm supply store about to pick up the line and uh I had backed the truck <laughs> up and I was like, Look, Pop. <laughs> Here we go. We're about to get a thousand pounds of lime, and where your pH is going to end up after we make this application is not where that centipede wants to be. It's not going to be happy after we make this application. Mm. Like, are you are you sure is, you want to do this? And we were standing at the point cash of no return. Yeah, we point of no return. Oh God! He was like, you know yeah. what? He was like, yeah. He was like, I want to do it. I'm in. I'm in. Yeah. I was like, all right. Mm-hmm. Let, all right. Let's do all it. Right. Let's do it. Yeah, because here's the here's the thing is that in some ways, what I tell people is sprigs may be less expensive, but in the end, the price is a wash because the amount of irrigation water that you need to get them to grow in yeah. kind of gets the price close to sprigs because, uh, you know, I, I'm in the land of $5 per square foot sprigs, right? I mean, not sprigs, but sod. I'm, I'm you know, $5 per square foot sod. Sprigs cost about half that per square foot installed. But uh, can we be ready for? Bill. Yeah, get get ready for that thousand dollar or so water bill. <laughs> just saying. Yeah, that's just yeah. part of the game, though. It, it yeah, it's just, it yeah, it's just what it is. And I mean, even even up here in Maryland, like during cool season, like if if I'm gonna do uh, a renovation and I'm gonna put stuff in, um, I I won't do it without water. I just mm-hmm. won't. I was like, you're, I mean, you're just going to have to factor. You're going to have to factor in. I'm going to bring some hoses in. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to set up a, a temporary uh, irrigation for for you to get grown in. Um, and then mm-hmm. you can continue to use that when the summer comes the following year. But it's, it's one right. of those things that I, I won't do it. I, I won't do it. I just won't like I hands down mm-hmm. is, it's just not going to happen. Cause I know the right, outcome. Right. Like if you're if you're gonna depend on just rain during that period of time, it's mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a rough gamble to make. No matter how well, many times I, you tell the client this is potentially what could happen and and everything else, they're still gonna be pissed off when it doesn't turn when out. When it dies, yeah. And, and you know, Ken, that's why I love. Dr. Shaddix uh, last week because he put out that slide that, you know, 
outlined the most important oh, factors. The, py the, py the pyramid. The pyramid. Yeah. 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 That that pyramid is something that I, I told Dr. Shaddix, I mean, because he thought that he was going to have to be fighting with me about a lot of things. He was legitimately afraid of that, right? I said, no. <laughs> no. I mean, it's like, yeah. For me, my most important factors when I'm dealing with the, a turf problem are I want to get water right, light right, temperature. And then I told them I give not very many dams about the soil or what's in it. Because in most cases, the soil is like a very minor or insignificant part of what's actually wrong there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, it should all be that easy. Yeah, well, it, it can be, but, uh, you know, you have these people that say, if you add this to your soil, all problems are solved. But then in the meantime, I know, hey, this grass ain't getting enough water. It's not getting enough sunlight. Or you have grass that is in an area that is either too hot or too cold for it to survive. So what are you going to do? <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> there's, I mean, the, 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 the only thing I'll say is that uh, forcing the issue is a problem. And I don't think that in this case, Cam is forcing the issue. I think it's, you know, it's a natural progression. I think with it being a full taunt ride in that area of North Carolina, it's going to do exceptionally well. I'm excited mm -hmm. to see it. And the only thing I will ask as we close this out is that, you document the ever-living shit out of this, please. <laughs> and oh, just, I'm serious, worry. whether, I, however much gets up in, like, content right away, like, I'm just saying, like, you know, even if it becomes, like, you know, uh, a montage later on or, you know, something that you, you only use, like, 10% of yeah. now, like, I promise you, you'll go back and look at it. For sure. Yeah. So, if this is gonna this is gonna be fun um i'm I'm actually excited for it like i i really am. It should be. like it is it's it's one of those things that is not only for my pops um i know i know he'll enjoy it um and i i know it's gonna give us a lot of time together uh i'm gonna spend a lot of hours <laughs> on the road and a whole lot of gas yeah. uh well, back yeah. and forth yeah. but um mm. I'm looking forward to it. It's a new challenge. Uh, it's something that I've never done before. Um, and especially in this industry, um, I, I just like, I like going into to new things. Um, so, and then I can, I can kind of talk a little bit on the, on the warm season side from experience and, and not necessarily mm -hmm. just uh, something that I read or from an article. Um, it's, it's, it's something different when you get out there in the field and you get to experience and, it like when when you and, get and it you actually can grow hand, it yeah grow yeah, it in yeah. and maintain it and yeah and all that and and then you can kind of like say to people okay i did it and this is what you can expect and you know that's a very good point because you know cam in my in my area i'm one of the few people that still knows what Bermuda grass is. Mm -hmm. I'm one of the few people, honestly. Now, and I know Ryan have... is thinking that's a, a sad what? thing. 
Well, yeah, it's a sad, sad thing. thing. But well, guess what? As one as one dies away in Hawaii, another one is born in North Carolina. So yes, I'm excited. <laughs> I am pumped. I can't wait to see it all. But we got to get out of here, boys. It's time. It's time for bed here. So listen, Cam, where can people find more about you? Make sure that they go check out your channel. Where can they find you? Elevated Lawnscapes on YouTube and IG. And that's, that's where you can find me. Come All right. Get. All right. Next week, next week, the the next of the uh, We Work and Bash Brothers is coming up. We've got Mr. Robert Palmer. Turf is on next week. Uh, i tell you one thing. Turf ain't growing Bermuda in New Jersey. Or not New Jersey, but Germany. Ah, New Jersey. Jeez. So tired of <laughs> But he ain't doing it in Germany either. So either place. But listen. I thank you. I know Ray does. I know Matt wishes he could be here too, but we give you all our best. We can't wait to follow along and see what's up. And uh, I'll be, we'll all be available for late night uh, discord and uh, phone conversations for sure. All right. Oh, oh yeah. You you can best believe those are going to come, come about uh, <laughs> mid, mid April. Yeah. We're going to yes, need sir. those. <laughs> yes, sir. All right, all right boys. Fellas. Have a great night. Love y'all. All right. Love y'all.